Growing Together, a podcast for educators and community members in our fabulous Douglas County School District. This season, we will bring you interviews with educational leaders about topics that matter. Let's jump into this episode as we grow together. Thanks for being here today. I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. You're joining us from San Diego today, virtually of course. You have a plethora of books that you are responsible as either yourself or part of a team for writing, but today I kind of want to focus on what's really relevant and on all of our minds today, which is around the work that you and your team did in distance learning and the distance learning playbook. So tell me how the idea for this came to be. Well, I probably should acknowledge my sister. We closed schools here in San Diego on March 13th. And I think most of us thought it was going to be a three-week thing. Like, we'd be three weeks, clean the building, everything will be right, we'll all be back. We could not, at that moment, imagine this would be our reality. My sister is a critical care intensive care nurse. And I was talking to her the next week, I think on March 18th. And I said, oh, you know, three weeks. And she said, you're not going back to school. <laughs> Way back then, she said, you are not going back to school. And I said, what do you mean, this year? She goes, this calendar year. That was her prediction. Wow. And so thinking, no, she can't be right. But then we started hearing little clips around, like this is going to be going on for a while, and then watching like China and them. So Nancy and I said, let's get learning quickly. You know, we've done online classes, but never like this fully online and in our homes, not able to go out to dinner and things like that. So we contacted a bunch of people around the world and 74 people agreed to let us Zoom, hang out, team with them to learn. None of them were distance learning teachers on March 13th. So I wasn't looking for like, uh, you know, people who had lots of experience in online. I wanted to watch a group of teachers become distance learning educators. And so that's where it started. And we had weekly calls and conferences and shared our successes and what wasn't working. And we processed with each other. And then we shared with each other. We did a bunch of micro teaching together where we showed a video clip of our lessons. And it, that's how it came to be. That's fascinating. I remember telling my staff too, like, take home your computer in case you have to be home for a couple of days until we figured out how big this was. So yeah, I had the same thoughts. So what did you see as you saw people progress into distance learning teachers that were some of the biggest challenges and what can our teachers learn from them? I think in mid-March, most people were trying to take their physical classroom and make everything from their physical classroom online. And it just didn't work. It was so clunky, it just, it didn't work. And so we started to think about what's best for asynchronous learning and what's best for synchronous learning. That started like, okay, that lesson would work better synchronous. That lesson would work better asynchronous. That then led to an instructional framework of the four major moves that we can make. We can demonstrate for students, we can get them to practice, we can guide them through prompting and cueing, and we can get them collaborating and talking. And so when we started doing that, these two by and large are asynchronous, these two by and large are synchronous. Hmm. So we had this little motto in our group of 74 plus Nancy and I, that during synchronous lessons, we prioritize academic language. We want them, so talking, interacting with one another, talking to the teacher. So when we started saying that, if we're gonna go live with kids, 
how can we get more academic language being used? And then in the asynchronous, how can we get them to practice things? How can we front load, review, preview all the stuff for them? So that's where the that's where it started. From there, then we said, how do we create tasks that really engage the learner? How do we how do we make sure that they vote with their feet and they show up and they don't click a button and leave us for the rest of the day? So that became part of our big discussion is okay. We have a sense of what's working better, asynchronous and synchronous. Now, how do we design learning tasks for students? So that's that's how our work um, changed over time. That's it's such a relevant thing that you're bringing up. I, I should mention, I said we're just a couple of weeks into distance learning. We, of course, did distance learning in the spring, but it looks different and our expectations are different than it is right now in the fall. But the very conversation that I had with leaders and heard them talking about today is exactly what you described is we have kids who are possibly home alone and they are, maybe they'll sign in, maybe they'll turn off their camera, or maybe they'll tell their teacher, oh, I, I had connection issues. I couldn't get logged in today. So we really had this conversation about not just engaging tasks, but getting them to show up. So yeah. that's fascinating that that's exactly what you saw as well. Yeah. So uh, we started having class DJs. So there's a DJ, we open the Zoom Teams, Google Hangout, whatever, 10 minutes before the scheduled time and the DJ gets to go live. It is amazing how many students show up because <laughs> they want to know what the DJ is going to play. It's so much fun. And the music has to be appropriate for our ears, for the grown-ups ears. <laughs> Teachers have a playlist that they approve in advance. I don't, I let them play as long as it doesn't hurt my ears. It's really fun to watch what the DJ does to get the energy going for class to start. So that's a little simple thing that we started seeing people do to invite. And I think we all forgot about virtual classroom jobs. Nobody during pandemic teaching of March, April, May, nobody was thinking about virtual jobs. It was all about, can I get kids to log in? Can I get them to do some work? Right. Now we're changing the dynamics. We are a class. Classes have responsibility. Part, someone has to be this person. Someone has to be this. Someone has to remind us what success looks like. Someone has to be the tech support. Someone has to be the chat monitor. So, you know, that we started creating all these virtual jobs. And we all know there are students who show up, who behave better, who engage more when they have a classroom job. That's why we had classroom jobs in physical school. Mm -hmm. Most of us just forgot that during core and teaching because we were all in survival mode. And to our credit, we were doing everything we could. Now we know more. Right, 100%. So I'm gonna change the subject a little bit. You talked in your book about compassion, fatigue, and self-care. And talk to me about that. I know that's another really big topic and will continue to be for our teachers. Yeah, so I say to teachers, we gotta take care of ourselves. This is, we're here for the long haul. Us burning out is gonna do the kids no good. We deserve it. We deserve to have some time to take care of ourselves. Our students need us, not just for today and tomorrow, they need us for the long haul. And our families, our own personal families need us. So we do need to have some boundaries. We need to have some work day time. And this is, what, this is my morning routine. This is my afternoon routine. I still have lunch to socialize with my colleagues. I, I take breaks, all of those things that help us establish those routines and procedures and having a wellness plan, having an accountability partner, all of that that draws on the research of people before COVID who were working at home. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is 
the people who work at home by and large could go to movie theaters and concerts and dinners with friends and travel on airplanes and all that got cut off. And most people had a little cocoon around them and they created this bubble. And so to maintain those social relationships, we are social animals. To maintain that social relationship was really important and protective. Now to the compassion fatigue issue, what happens, and, and my sister, again, the nurse, introduced compassion to fatigue to me several years ago saying, this was a thing they talk about in her work a lot, is that over time, when you hear all of these stories, you start to aggregate the pain of others to the point where you have no compassion left because just it's too painful for you. It was an amazing conversation. And I started seeing these articles appearing, I don't know, 2018, maybe a little bit before, mm -hmm. about compassion fatigue in educators. Well, I think now that we're Zooming in their homes and students are telling us about food insecurity and oh. their parents not having jobs, all the things we're hearing about, we are even at higher risk for compassion fatigue. And so we need to be thinking about what are the protective things that we can do? We have to connect kids to counseling services. We have to connect to kids to resources that exist in the school systems. But how can we talk about this with our colleagues so we don't develop compassion fatigue and further withdraw? I think you bring up a good point. Not only are we seeing into children's homes, they're seeing into ours as well. And that creates yep. a certain amount of vulnerability for our teachers as well. Yep. That's all part of that picture. So yep. you talked about this isn't going away. I have a philosophy that this is fundamentally changing education and we're going to see a lot yep. of this into the future, regardless of the pandemic. What do you think are next steps just as educators to be able to do this successfully and move into that next phase, whatever it looks like? So I think, I think the idea of synchronous and asynchronous is going to be with us for our careers. Yeah. If we went back to school tomorrow, physically, we would still be designing asynchronous learning for kids. Mm -hmm. Whether you call it flip or whatever else, that's a, there are things we could build, assets we could build for students. They can't rewind their teacher. If their teacher does a think aloud, you get it once in physical school. But if we make a video and we make a, you know, play pause it or ed puzzle it, students can go back to those over and over to review the information. So I think that is going to be a change that we will have for a long time. I think lots of us became way more comfortable with technology. Not a bad thing. Right. It really enhanced learning, at least. There's no evidence that the technology is the game changer for learning. Right now, what I think about is assessment. I am seeing such innovation on assessment because essentially today, everything is open book. Mm -hmm. And if right. a teacher gives a test from last year, and we started hearing this because we're five, four or five weeks into the school year, we started hearing this across the district. I gave this assessment and they cheated on it. They Googled all the answers. Well, yes, everything now is open book. And so it's, it's causing us to say, how do we know students have learned things? What are some really good ways to get to know? Because that's part of our job as educators. We have to know what students learned. We're required to fill out report cards and mark transcripts and all these things. How do we know they learned something? What do we do with that information as feedback to ourselves to improve the lessons? So we're starting to see some really cool. Here's an example. A math teacher gave his students a math test. It was completely filled out, completely done, as if here's all the answers. And he said to his students, your job is to review this math test like a teacher. 
Wow. And your job is to find all the errors in this math test. But I need you to explain to me why this person had this error. What went happening in their mind? What happened in that brain that led them to this error? So he was getting his students to actually do error analysis. Right. Which is a really high level for teachers, right? Right, right. I saw the students and he said it was super simple because I could change little errors all over the problems. I could create 10 versions of this test in no time and give it out to students. And they had to analyze what caused the errors. First, they had to find the errors. So they actually read the test and they couldn't Google it. He got a really good glimpse into his students' understanding of errors and patterns of errors. He said to me, I will never give a test like I used to give a test. Having students analyze errors is way better for their conceptual understanding of mathematics. Yeah, you know that it's conceptual and not just complete procedural memorization. That's fantastic. We had a history teacher do something called a no-show chart. K-N-O-W slash H-H-O-W, no-show chart. And he said to all of his students, middle school teacher, at the end of this week, I want you to make a list on paper, not digitizing everything, literally on paper, of all the things you now know. For each thing you know, how could you show it? He went through and circled one thing on each student's paper and said, that's what I want you to do. Show me that you know that by the way you said you could. And it was so cool because all the students had different ways of know. They said they all knew different things. There were some things in common, of course, but they had different ways of showing it. And he selected one and said, okay, this is the one I want from you. This is your grade. And the students all had just variety of ways of how they could prove to him of what they knew. How innovative and creative is that? Well, really, almost two assessments in one. My goodness, thinking even just listing the know and show is part of that formative assessment. If you could tell teachers, this is the one thing that you've got to do to really engage students, to impact their learning, what is it? Create tasks to let students set goals for themselves, let students have some self-assessment and get students to get feedback from other people, not the teacher. Teach students to get feedback from their families, from other students based on the goals they have. That seems to be the best way to engage learners. When they have a goal, when they seek feedback from other people and can monitor their progress. But something else I would say to teachers is stop comparing yourself to everybody else. This fictional teacher on Facebook is not doing a better job than you. Your students are fine with the tools you have. Stop with the tool envy. We don't need 10 more tools in our classrooms. We're getting way too focused on the tools. You did not forget how to be a teacher. As long as you have a couple tools that you can access your students, you are fine. And I'm hearing all these people who are feeling bad about their, that I'm not doing fill in the blank, dojo, cami, Padlet, I'm not doing that, so I must be a bad teacher. No, you're not. If you have a tool to reach your students and it is working for you, you're good to go. Right. Stop with the tool envy and stop comparing yourself to other people. It's not healthy. It's not helping. Don't do that. That is the best advice I have ever heard, I think. We have a book study with our professional learning specialists, like our instructional coaches within our district, and they are digging into your book and loving it. There's so many fantastic examples. Thank you to you and, and your team for writing that. It's just such a valuable resource. So I'll leave you with one message for teachers. Great. Someday in the future, I don't know how long, but someday in the future, the students you are teaching are going to come back to you. They're going to come visit you 
and they are going to say to you, do you remember me? And you're going to say, yes, I do, because your camera was on. I remember you. Right. And they're going to follow up with, you were my teacher during COVID-19, and you did not give up on me. I am who I am today, because during a pandemic, you did what you could with what you had to help me learn. Oh Thank you God. so much, teachers, for all that you do. Yes. Oh my gosh, you're making me teary. You are absolutely right. What a great message. Thank you. Thank you for Thank being you. with us. And I just appreciate you. And, and like you said, all of our teachers, everything that they're doing. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for the invitation.